Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. All right, so this morning, um, I, I don't know if this is like a silly title. I thought it was kind of, I kind of liked it. Um, the title of this message is A World of Demons and Taxes. And uh, I don't know which one's worse, right? Demons or taxes. It's like, woo. Um, but this is what Matthew is bringing up in this text. And I want us to, to take a look at this. I, one of the things about the Gospels, which I love about the Gospels, is one, we have four of them. So we have four different accounts, narratives, or maybe you could say biographies of Jesus and his life. And sometimes I liken it to uh, a movie. Now, uh, I like to listen to or watch documentaries about how movies are made. I find that fascinating. Like how in the world did they come up with making this movie and all that it takes to make a movie? And a lot of times from what I understand, uh, there are time constraints and there's financial constraints. So like the producers, the ones that are, that are uh, putting money into it, they have a say of, hey, this is how long it's supposed to be. It's only two and a half hours long where maybe the director says, we need more money. And they're saying, no, this is all you get. Or we want this to be a longer movie. And they say, no. And so there's this back and forth. And so there's time, limitations on time and limitations on funds. And I would say in a similar way, when it comes to these authors of the gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were under constraints as well. They only had so much space uh, to write on, okay? And, and writing instruments back then and the papyra that they wrote on, is it papyra or papyrus? Papyri, something along, multiple papyra, yeah. Uh, but they only had so much of that and it was expensive. And so there was some restraints and they had to decide, okay, what are we going to include and what are we going to exclude? And it's very telling as you, uh, especially in this section uh, with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, how they describe these events. And so just, for example, this, the first section or this first scene that we're going to read, Mark expands on it even more. What's interesting is... Uh, the, the last section or the last scene we're going to read or see and talk through, none of the other gospels mention it. And it's like, wow, why? So it's kind of interesting. Why would Matthew include it and the others don't? So I just want, as we're walking through this, there's reasons why Matthew are including the things that he includes and excludes the others. So just keep that in mind as we walk through this, because here's the most important thing we're trying to understand is what is Matthew trying to tell us, his audience? What is important? What is so important to Matthew that he says, I need to write this down so my audience knows? Because I think what Matthew's intentions are is what God's intentions are. There's something that God wants us to see in this. And the question is, what is that? So with that, let me give you a little review um, of what we've covered so far, because context is really important here. So if you think back through and, and kind of go uh, 
along the lines of, think through this along the lines of characters. You have the disciples who are called and follow Jesus. And these, there's some interesting interactions with Jesus and the disciples. But if you remember with the disciples, there's this specific moment where he gathers them and, and gets them together and commissions them. He gives instructions to them to go out and do the very same things that he's doing in his ministry, which is to preach the gospel, the good news, which is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is coming. It is, it is right here. It is coming like a freight train. It is like the storm that is just, it's, it's going to hit any minute, any moment. So repent. So that's the command for the disciples. Preach this message. But also Jesus, and we'll talk through this a little bit more, gives them authority to do the kinds of miracles that Jesus was doing. So healing and casting out demons and raising the dead. He gives them the authority to do that as well. And so sends them off to do that. So that's, that's kind of like the role of the disciples. They're to follow Jesus and they're also to mimic Jesus, to, to do what Jesus did. There's also the crowds. And the crowds, they actually gather because of these miraculous works that Jesus is doing, um, healing and casting out demons. And so they have family members and friends that are afflicted with all these diseases and, and um, issues. And so they're, they're gathering around Jesus to be healed. Then we also have the religious leaders. And the religious leaders are standing around observing all this and they don't like what they're seeing. They don't like what they're hearing to such an extent that at some point they go, you know what? It, we, need, we need to stop this. We need to put the fire out. We need to find ways to destroy this man because he is a threat. So you have these three different groups. And it's interesting how Matthew talks about them in various times and their response to the teaching and the preaching of Jesus. So we're kind of working through that. And so this kind of brings us to what happened um, the last week and the previous week where Jesus is walking with his disciples and he says, who do the people or maybe the crowd say that I am? Who do the people say that I am? What's Twitter up to and, and my identity and who I am? And so the disciples respond back, or Peter specifically says, well, uh, some say this prophet or that prophet. So basically, you know, they kind of see Jesus as a prophet. Some of them might question if he's really the, if he's the son of David, this one promised long ago. We see that from the scriptures as well, but probably a prophet he says, okay, who do you now disciples who've been following me, who I've given authority to do these things, have heard my teachings, have heard my parables, and I explain these parables to you. So you have more revelation. You have more insight. Who do you say that I am? And Peter makes this confession. And this is huge because this is the first time we read in Matthew, anyone speaking these words, you are the Christ, the son of God. And Peter, or, and Jesus speaks to Peter, blessed are you because this was revealed to you by the Father. And so from that time forward, 
after that verbal confession from one of his disciples, the disciples were all there. And this is really important. This is in chapter 16, verse 21. If you have your Bibles open, just make a mental note. You can write this down. Chapter 16, verse 21. This is a a turn. This is a turn that takes place. Before that, when Jesus starts his ministry, Matthew writes it this way. From that time forward, Jesus began to preach. Now, fast forward to 16, chapter 16, verse 21. Matthew says it in a different way. It's it's the same phrase, but in a little different way. He says, from that time on, Jesus began not to preach, but to show. Jesus began to show his disciples how he must suffer, how he must die and rise again. And this message did not, uh, the disciples didn't like what they were hearing. We know that from previous weeks, right? Peter rebukes Jesus of this. So this is a huge turning point. From that time forward, Jesus starts sharing and revealing something about his death, suffering, death, and resurrection, and the disciples have no idea what he's talking about. They're confused. In fact, we're going to see in our passage that they're a bit disturbed by it. Okay. Last week, what happens after all this, the confession and the rebukes and the revealing, Jesus goes, okay, I'm going to show some of you something. And he takes up three disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to the mountain where he's transfigured, right? Shining like the sun. His clothes are as white as light um, or snow, or I can't remember the reference, but they're bright. And then Elijah Elijah and Moses come down and there's this huge uh, transfiguration and and glory of of Jesus and his majesty. Um, And it's overwhelming. And of course, Peter speaks up like Peter does. And the father interrupts him. And then the father makes a declaration as well, right? So remember, Peter makes a confession. This, this is the son of God, the Christ. God, the father makes the declaration. This is my son who I'm well pleased. And then he says, listen to him. Listen to him. The words that are coming out of his mouth the words that have been coming out of his mouth and that will continue to come out of his mouth, even the words where he says, I must suffer, die, and and rise again, listen to them. Listen to what he's saying. And I don't think it's just like open your ears and just hear the words coming out of his mouth, but it's, it's, it's listen in a way of believing, right? Trusting, saying, okay, all right. It's, 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 it's a listening of obedience that he's calling them to. All right. So that kind of brings us up to speed because what transpires now, and I'm going to read this passage for us, that some of this is occurring while they're up there on the mountain, either as they're going up the mountain or going down the mountain. Basically, the disciples are separated, right? There's three with Jesus, and then there are nine that are not with Jesus, and, and there's some stuff that happens when they're separated. And that's what we're going to read, at least this first scene. This is what we're going to read about, what transpires after the transfiguration. So here we go. We're going to um, 
We're going to look at Matthew chapter 17. Let me read this for you. Verses 14 through 27. Uh, If you could stand with me just in honor of the word as I read this. And then we'll pray. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son for he has seizures and he suffers terribly for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. Truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move for here, from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. And they were gathering in Galilee. And Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. And when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon, from who do kings of the earth take toll or tax from their sons or from others? And when he had said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Well, Heavenly Father, as we work through this passage, there's so much uh, we probably won't get to, but I pray, Lord, that uh, you would speak, that we would be encouraged, that we would be strengthened in our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so kind of the, the summary or the main idea of, I'm going to call this, there's three scenes, there's three sections, uh, and, but, but overall, here's the picture or the main idea, and that is that the power of faith, it's a, this is about the power of faith among demons and taxes. The power of faith among demons and taxes. So here's the first theme scene and it's the it's a father's desperate uh, a father's desperate plea a father's desperate plea so the scene unfolds with Jesus remember he's descending the mountain and at the bottom of this mountain somewhere there's a crowd okay so they probably heard uh, they found out where Jesus was going and we've seen this previously wherever Jesus goes word you know word gets out and they're like we, we need help. We, and so they start gathering around. He's drawing these crowds and people are wanting to be healed. So they, they heard that he's maybe up on the mountain or around the mountain. So, so this crowd gathers and the nine disciples are there. They're kind of left there. They don't necessarily know what's going up on the mountain, but they're like, all right. So they, it, it's 
possible, it seems like, they're ministering to this crowd. They're engaging with them in some way. I mean, they've been commissioned to preach and to heal. And so this is possibly what's taking place while Jesus, Peter, James, and John are gone. They're interacting and, okay, what happens? Well, a father comes with his son and the son is afflicted. Now, the phrase here that they use in Matthew are seizures. And I don't know if that's necessarily the right uh, translation of that word, because we, we know what seizures can look like, and we know that they come by naturally. You know, there's, there's some things taking place in the brain, and, and uh, so naturally, uh, seizures can happen. And this is a little bit different. This is, this is uh, demon possession, and, and it's, it's causing some strange things to happen where there, it's, it sounds like, or it seems like, specifically being thrown into the fire or thrown into water in a way it's where, where this, this, uh, this child is trying to hurt himself, where this demon is trying to physically harm this child. So this is a little bit different of, of what's happening here. So, they come down, Jesus and Peter, James, and John, they come down to the mountain. They encounter this man, and this man engages with Jesus. He's already interacted with the nine disciples, and they couldn't, they couldn't heal this boy. So now, the father's going to Jesus, and he asks for mercy, and he asks for this son to be healed. So imagine, imagine being this father. I mean, I can't. Well, I can't imagine what it's like to have a child with this kind of affliction and the torment and the, and the pain to, to see a child go through something like this. And so it's, it's interesting that this father, I mean, one, he is trying to, it seems like he knows where Jesus is. He goes to them. He goes to the disciples. The disciples can't do anything. He doesn't give up. He goes to Jesus and he pleads with Jesus to heal his son. And so this is how Jesus responds to this request. Very interesting. Verse 17. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a kind of a surprising response. And I was trying to think through this. You know how like sometimes I've, I've, I saw this video or not. Yeah, it was a video, but these two guys texting back and forth and one of them going, hey, I haven't heard from you. Did you want to do something? And um, the guy's like, yeah. And the guy gets it back just with a yeah. And he's like, okay, do like, that's a short response. Are you, you really want to do something with me? And uh, what, do you, what do you want to do? And the guy responds back, whatever. Well, when he heard it, it was whatever. And so now he's getting angry. And he's, you know, and then the next guy, and the guy reads the text, and he doesn't read it out of anger. He reads it, okay, and so he's like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And the guy reads 
the response and it makes him even angrier because he's, he's reading it in a different way where the, the guy is not angry at all, but he's seeing it as angry. And so we can do that. We can take phrases or words, uh, answers or responses out of context and, and read them differently. But when I read this, <laughs> I don't know how not to read this as Jesus is kind of fed up. Like there's, there's some, there, there's this uh, exasperation or, or just, oh, a sigh. You faithless and twisted generation. That's no real nice way to say that, is it? Your faithless and twisted generation. So what is going on here? Why does he respond in that way? And I think there's two things here. You know, the question kind of is, is he responding to the disciples and their inability to cast out the demon? Or is he responding to this, this issue, this affliction of demon possession? And, and I don't know if we can, if it's very clear, but this is faithless and twisted and it's not just disciples, it is generation. So it's, it's beyond just the disciples here that he's talking about. And I would argue also it's beyond, yes, that generation, but this is a human issue. This is a humanity problem. And Jesus is addressing it or speaking of it in that way where he's talking about just the overall generation. And so we see a pattern and, and the Bible opens this up to us and reveals this to us as we go back to the Old Testament. So this wicked generation or this twisted and faithless generation, we see examples of this with Israel in the Old Testament. So for example, in the book of Numbers, chapter 14 through uh, 1411, this is when uh, Moses brings them out of Egypt. And remember, God sends 10 plagues. He parted the Red Sea. He met with Moses on top of this mountain where there's fire and smoke and brimstone. And so, I mean, there's all these ways that Israel has experienced the power of their God. And God is leading them through the wilderness. And there's a point where, and he's speaking through Moses and he says, um, we're going to take you to the promised land. Um, I'm going to give this land to you. And they get there and say, hey, let's spy this out first. So they send some men to spy out the land and the Canaanites are inhabiting it. And uh, all the spies come back and they're like, uh, yeah, the land's nice. But boy, those guys are big. They're strong. They're huge. Uh and, and there's um, actually two Joshua and someone else who says, so? But everyone's like afraid. They're like, we can't go take over that land. Look at those guys. They're like football players. So, so the, instead of trusting in God and his call to them, they are faithless. They go, you know what? We're not going. So this is really interesting. Um, Joshua and someone else says, no, 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 we need to go. We need to put our trust in him. 
and uh, we need to put our trust in him and go. And this is their response. This is verse 10 in Numbers chapter 14. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Like, they're like, uh, no, 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 you need to keep quiet. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs I have done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Okay. Those are words of a God who's fed up with this people. He's displayed all these things through these miraculous signs and they still will not follow him to where he is calling them to go. Fast forward, Jesus giving all these signs of who he is. They even confess that he is the Christ and yet there's somewhere where he wants them to go and they are unwilling to go. There's lack of faith. There's something going on here. So Jesus is addressing this. There's another example of this. I'm going to skip that Deuteronomy example, but there's all kinds of examples of this taking place where, where God, yes, he is patient and kind. His love is steadfast, the steadfast love, but there is a time where God finally says, you're done you're done. And we kind of get a glimpse of that here with Jesus calling them out, just like called out the Israelites back in the Old Testament. He's calling them out as being faithless and twisted. Now that word twisted can also be translated perverted. It's, it's taking what is good or what is right and what is true and twisting it, making it something for yourself. And that's what Jesus is referring to here when he's describing the generation. And when he's doing that, I think he's describing us as people. He's describing sin because this is exactly what sin does. Sin takes what God has given us that is good and twisting it and perverting it to make it something for ourselves. And we see this all the time. We do this, we see it out in our culture and in our, in our society, in our world. If you just think of the way that we used to think about marriage to how we think about marriage today, we've taken marriage, what was given us by God, and we have turned it into something where it's more about us than about the other person and about about the Lord and, and this relationship being for the Lord and what he has called us to be, we turn what is good, what God has given us, and we make it about ourselves. And I think there's a hint of this transpiring in this scene as well. So here's the question. Well, let's, before we get to the application, there's one more aspect of this that I, I think is good to draw out. So he calls them a faithless and twisted generation. And then he 
says, how long am I to be with you? How long should I bear with you? And this is kind of where you can kind of think of um, maybe like as a parent, uh, when, when there's disobedient children or something like that, where finally you're just kind of like, or, or children who maybe children who are older, who should be responsible, maybe they're graduating and heading off into college, and you might be wondering, are they going to make it? So um, I have an example of, uh, so I have three, is it three? Three teenagers with vehicles. And, um, and, and I, I have failed in some ways in training them up in a way where they can take care of their own vehicles. So they'll be like, hey, dad, my car is making a strange sound. I don't know what it is. Well, let's go check it out. Oh, you haven't changed the oil in a year and a half. Um, that did not happen, by the way. It wasn't a year and a half. But, but things like that are, um, so there's, there's this thing where it's like, boy, if I was not around, uh, what would happen to these vehicles, right? So there's this, and I think there's something similar happening here where Jesus is like, what's going to happen when I'm gone? What's going to happen with the disciples? Are these disciples going to make it? How long do I have to be with you? How long do I have to take on this role? And uh, so there's something going on here. And so here's the question for us. How can we build a firm foundation of faith so that when trials come, we can remain steadfast? Let me ask that again. How can we build a faith, a firm foundation of faith, so that when trials come, we can remain steadfast? Trials, I don't know, maybe like Jesus suffering and dying, right? Our leader being arrested and killed, the one that is supposed to bring about the kingdom that we're looking forward to is, is dead? Where is their faith when that happens? Where is our faith when trials and tribulations come? And so how can we now, even if we're not facing trials right now, how can we build a foundation of faith in a way that when they do come, because that's what's happening here. Jesus is with them now, but he's not. He's not going to be with them for long. So how to build a firm foundation before these trials come? James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says it in this way. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, because that's what that trial is doing, right? Testing your faith, uh, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So that's, that's the hope. That's the goal. Right, So that we're prepared in a way that our faith is strengthened in a way when the storms come, we will not be tossed to and fro. But we would be able to stand firm. To stand firm on Christ. Particularly who he is 
and the promises he's given, right? So who Christ is, who is he? Who, who Jesus is, he is the Christ, the son of God. What has he done? What are the promises? That he has died, he has suffered, he has died for our sin. He was raised from the dead so that we too will be raised. That's our faith. That's, that's our firm foundation. It is Christ and what he has done for us. Okay. So later, uh, the disciples come to Jesus privately and they ask, okay, wait a minute. Jesus, um, why couldn't we cast out this demon? So Jesus casts out the demon, right? Heals the boy. And so later, it's like disciples, okay, what's going on here? Um, remember, this is back in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus gave them authority to do these things. And so I, I would believe that they've, they were able to do this and, and they've done it. And so it's kind of a surprise to them that this is one time when they couldn't cast out this demon. So they go to Jesus, what in the world? Why couldn't we cast it out? Let's look at Jesus' response to this. This is verse 20. Uh, he said to them, because of your lack of faith, for truly I, say, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So this might sound kind of confusing because Jesus says that they couldn't cast out the demon because they had little faith. And yet he turns around and he says, what kind of faith are you supposed to have? One of a mustard seed, right? A mustard seed, very small. If you had faith like a mustard seed, you would be able to do things that are impossible. So what in the world is Jesus talking about? We, we kind of talked about this in our Sunday school class. Because he's basically saying this, as, as we read this, why couldn't you cast it out? Because of little faith. But if you have little faith, nothing's impossible. Wait, what? What in the world is he talking about? And so... Um, I'm going to fast forward in a sense, instead of like wrestling with it and kind of working through it, um, I'm just going to drop the answer to you. And this is what I think is taking place. And here's, here's actually, this is a, um, a principle when it comes to things that are unclear. And I shared this in our Sunday school class. There's two things that um, at least that we can do. One is to look at the context of what he's talking about here, but also because this is a gospel, we can look at the other gospels and the other accounts of this, and maybe some of the other authors can kind of fill in what we don't know. And so this is what we're going to go to. And it's uh, the gospel of Mark talks about this. Chapter 9, verses 28 through 29, same thing that's taking place. It says, and when he had entered the house, the disciples, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So what's going on here? So one is Matthew's picking up on something different. Matthew's picking up on little faith. Mark is picking up though on prayer. What is prayer? 
What is prayer? But coming before God with a need, a need that by my own strength and my own power, I cannot accomplish. Right? When, when we, that's usually when we go to prayer. Don't we usually go to prayer when we're desperate? When we're at our wits end, when nothing else seems to work? That's usually the time when we go to prayer because we know I can't do anything. I better go to God who can do all things. So it's very interesting that we kind of tend to do the same thing that the disciples do. So this is what I think is taking place here. I think, I think the disciples were trying to cast out this demon in their own strength and power. They were given this authority, and I don't know exactly how this may look, but they might have been so used to casting out demons and healing to in a sense where they were just going and saying, demon come out, man be healed, and maybe after a while, they start thinking to themselves, man, this is, man, I could do some pretty amazing stuff. Apparently, they didn't go to prayer, at least with this one about that, casting out the demon, right? And so there's something here that's taking place where it seems like the disciples, the, the nine, when Jesus was gone, when Jesus was away, their eyes started to focus on maybe something else rather than... Jesus, the object of their faith, is supposed to be Jesus. And it looks as though it's somewhere else. And I think that's what Jesus is pointing out here. So the question then for us is, is, hey, where do we put our trust? Where do we put our faith? Is it in our own power, in our own strength? Is it in our own abilities? And I think the kind of question to us that we can ask to kind of like diagnose that of where we put our faith is when do we tend to pray? When do we tend to pray? Because a lot of times I know for myself, it's not until I'm desperate. It's not when, until I put a lot of effort, my own effort into it. And it's like, wow, what am I really trusting in then? If I spend all this time trying to do these things myself, instead of trusting in the Lord and going to him in prayer. All right, so that's a long scene one. Let's go to scene number two. This is Jesus reminds the disciples of his impending end. So remember, uh, back in chapter 16, verse 21, you can throw it up there. I probably won't read it, uh, Hadassah. But uh, in 1621, it starts with that phrase, from this time, Jesus began to show his disciples what, how he used to suffer, die, and rise again, okay? And then if you fast forward to the transfiguration, uh, he says it again in a different way, but as they're coming down the mountain, this is with Peter, James, and John, as they're coming the mountain, they have this interaction about this, this question, but in that question, Jesus answers them, and he said um, something along the lines of, this is verse 9, um, where he says, tell no one of this vision that you just saw, the transfiguration, tell no one of it 
until the Son of Man rises from the dead or is raised from the dead. So now he's speaking of the resurrection again. Okay. And then when they're interacting with Jesus and have this question, he mentions also in verse 12, um, he says, so also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands, referring to the religious leaders. So he's bringing it up to Peter, James, and John again. Okay. And I think that's important because he keeps, this is, he keeps bringing it up. He keeps bringing it up. Why does he keep bringing it, bringing it up? And I think the answer is, is he's trying to prepare them. See, I think this all fits together in the sense of he knows that he's going to be gone soon. And he's like, these disciples, what's their track record? And so he's like, okay, I'm bringing this up. Guys, there's going to be a time when I'm not here. There's going to be a time I'm not here. Listen to how he says it. In verse 22, so Matthew chapter 17, verse 22, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered in the hands of men. That's a little bit new, the about to, it's coming soon and they will kill him and he'll be raised on the third day. And then it says the disciples were greatly distressed about this, right? They weren't like, all right, Jesus. All right, we're with you. We're with you with this. No, no, no. They're distressed about this. This is still concerning to them. So it's kind of like this question is, is, again, where is their faith? I mean, Peter, James, and John heard God, the Father, say, listen to him. Well, it doesn't seem like they're really catching the hint here. They're still distressed about it. And, and here's the thing, uh, you know, if I heard that from, if I was Jesus's disciple and I was hearing this and I didn't know the future, like I do now, because I've read about it, right? We're on the other side. This is kind of like for us right now, we're kind of like the armchair quarterbacks, right? We can look back and be like all those disciples. But I think if I was in the disciple shoes, I would be, I would be concerned too. I would be disturbed. Dude, I would have issues. So it kind of reminds me, um, I think we can relate to this. And it's about this question of trust or faith. So um, when I was a little kid, my mom loved theme parks. She loved roller coasters. And I remember going to these theme parks and uh, my mom, and I can't remember how old I was, um, but if you, if you know my mom, um, she was crazy. Uh, very spontaneous, very lively. So you can tell, like, you can just see her get into roller coasters, right? And so she's dragging this, I'm probably like eight or nine years old, 10 years old, dragging this young kid with her to this roller coaster. And I think it was in Great America, if I remember correctly, it was this roller coaster in Great America called The Demon, okay? Kind of fits, right? Demon possession here. The Demon, and this thing was fast. It went upside down. It had corkscrews. I mean, this thing was intense. I've never been on a, on a roller coaster before. And she's dragging me, and I am in tears. No! And I remember, like, these uh, young, they were probably high schoolers or college guys, like, 
uh, because my mom was like, come on, Michael. Come on, Michael. It'll be great. You'll have fun. You'll be fine. And I remember these high schoolers going, yeah, Michael, you'll be great. You know, you'll be fine. But I was like, no. And my mom was like, no, no, no. You're going to love this. So now the question is, is am I going to trust in my mom and what she says or I'm going to keep kicking and screaming, right? My mom's like, you're missing out. This is amazing. You'll be safe. You'll be fine. It'll be fun. Come with me. Am I going to trust in my mom and what she says? Actually, I did. So we get on this thing, and I am just trembling and freaking out, and we, we go all over it. And we get done, and I'm, I'm like stumbling off the ride, you know. And she, you know, my mom's like, whoa, wasn't that great? Wasn't that? And I'm like, just wait, I need to sit down, you know. Like my mom's probably like in her late 30s or early 40s at this time. I, I don't remember. But I mean, it was just kind of funny to see how this kid responded and how my mom responds to this thing. But I did. It was fun. I was safe. I didn't die. And from that time on, she's like, do you want to go again? And I said, yes. But that first initial step was a step of faith and trusting. I had to trust in, in, in my mom and what she was speaking to me. And I think in a similar way here, this is what Jesus is doing. He's like, I called you. You are my followers. Will you really follow me? Because remember what the call is. When he reminds the disciples, hey, I have to suffer, I have to die, and then I'll be raised again. Then he says, and if anyone comes after me, let him what? Suffer. Bear up his cross and die. Will you follow me? Do you have enough follow Jesus into suffering and into death so that you too might be raised again. Will you trust? And friends, it is worth it. That's the message here. That's the idea. It is worth it. On this side, you're like, whew, I don't like where this is going. It's like through fire. But on the other side, whew, it is worth it. And I think this is what Jesus is communicating. All right. I want to, um, I'm going to hold off on that. We're going to go to scene three and finish it up this way. And I'm going to move through this one a little bit quicker. And I love this scene. Um, I, I can't help but think of this uh, in a humorous way. So I'm going to describe for you how I, how my, uh, crooked mind thinks of this. All right. So here's, this is kind of funny. So Peter's, I don't know, walking out and he runs into tax collectors. How many of you like to run into tax collectors? IRS knocking on your door. You're like, Woo! no, right. You jump behind your couch, Shh, turn off the TV. Maybe they don't know we're here. Right? It's like, these are guys you don't want to just run into. You want to avoid these guys. All of a sudden, so I could just see Peter, like, I don't know, running errands. He's not looking where he's going. And he bumps into these two tax collectors. He's like, oh. Um. And they ask this question, which is a wild question. This, I, I don't understand this. What's the question? 
Does your teacher not pay the tax? Does your teacher, Jesus, they know who he is, does your teacher not pay the tax? How do you respond to that? Because to me, how it's asked, I'm like, it seems like they're trying to set a trap, right? Like this is uncomfortable. They're tax collectors, so I'm already uncomfortable. And now they ask me in a way, and okay, so I asked my, my kids this question. I'm like, how do you respond to that question? Because here's my mind. If I say, is it, does my teacher not pay taxes? Yes, he does pay taxes, or yes, he doesn't pay the tax, right? What, what does the yes mean, or no? No, he doesn't pay the tax, or no, no, he pays the taxes, right? Do you see, you see the difference there in my mind? Just how they phrase that? I don't know how Peter responds to that. Because he just says, yes. Is that the affirmative that he does or yes, that he doesn't? And so I'm like scratching my head. My daughter said, no, no, it's that he doesn't pay the taxes, right? That's their answer. But then I go to commentators and they go, no, no. Peter's speaking in the affirmative that yes, he does pay his taxes. That's how Peter. So I have no idea what's going on here, but this is what I do know. Think about who Peter is. The guy that can't stop not say stuff, right? I mean, he's continually glabbing. Question comes out, Jesus. Peter's the first to answer. He's talking. The father, God the father has to interrupt this man because he just keeps going. So here, this is what I find funny. So now Peter runs into these tax collectors and he's got one word response. It's almost like he doesn't know what to say. Uh, yes? And then he just runs off. Like the interaction's done. He goes running into the house where Jesus is. I find that kind of funny. And then before Peter can say anything, remember Gabby Peter, before he could say anything, Jesus speaks to him. And this is hilarious because I don't know if this interaction was like right outside the house, if it was by the window, or if Jesus, you know, through him being the son of God, just knew the interaction that took place. But before Peter could like lock the doors, close the blinds, Jesus speaks out to Peter and he wants to correct Peter. And this is all the, the important part. Okay. I kind of set it up. It's kind of funny, but here's the important part. Jesus is trying to um, reveal something to Peter about this. And he's using this interaction as an example or an illustration. So what's the question? What do you think, Simon? From who do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? So that's the question. Peter actually responds correctly. Very short, by the way. From others. Jesus says, you're right. Therefore, here's the point. Here's what he's trying to point out to Peter. Therefore, the sons are free. The sons are free. So what is going on here? What is Jesus talking about? All right. So in this illustration, kings who have dominion over these lands, they own those lands. They're hit. They're theirs, right? These kings of the world. 
and they have heirs, they have sons who are going to inherit those lands or inherit that kingdom. It's basically their kingdom too. They own it. They're sovereign over it, right? They are free from the tax. That makes sense to Peter and for everyone during that time. Oh, that makes sense. And so he's saying in the similar way, what about God's kingdom? And what about his son? Right? So this tax that these tax collectors are collecting is for the temple where the, where, where God dwells. The presence of God dwells within the temple. That's like his home, his house. Why in the world would the king or his son pay tax for their home? And so I think what Jesus is saying here is, I, I think what he's doing is he's revealing to Peter his identity again. He's like, wait a minute, you know that I am the son of God. And so you should know then when you answered those, maybe it's, hey, you should answer the um, tax collectors in this way. Why? Why would he pay the tax? It's his home. He's the son of God. He doesn't need to pay the tax. Kings don't make their sons pay the tax. Why would the son of God pay this tax? It's his home. And so I think what Matthew is doing here by including this, and by the way, Matthew's the only one who, who uh, writes down this event. Who is Matthew? What is Matthew? A tax collector. This one, Matthew picked up on this one. He's like, oh, this one's good. Taxes, I'm about this one. And so I think what he's doing here is he's revealing, Matthew is wanting us to know that Jesus is truly the son of God. And, and so um, therefore he's free. He's free from pain. Of course he's free. He's the son of God. Now here's the twist. We need to close with this. Here's the twist, which is, is pretty astounding. Instead of moving to his freedom, right? Saying, don't pay the tax. Instead, he says, because, so that they're not offended, go pay the tax. Of course, it's in a miraculous way, right? Go to the lake. Get out a fishing pole with a hook. First one you catch, open it up. There's going to be a shekel there. And it's like, what in the world? Really? And uh, by the way, pay for yourself too. There'll be enough for you too. It's, I, just, I just love this imagery of like Jesus relaxing in a lounge tail, chair watching football and interacting with Peter in this way. Like nonchalantly. Like, hey, what do you think about this, Peter? You're right. But since they're not offended, just go, go and pay for yourself too while you're out. It's like there's... There's something amazing that Jesus is revealing about himself and this, I would say, this call to trust in him and to listen to him. Even in this instance, go, go fishing, pull out the fish, grab the shekel. If I was Peter, I'd be like, no, this is, 
Really? The first fish, there's going to be a shuckle? How many fish swallow shuckles? Like, I don't know about you, but when people go fishing, I don't think they see coins. Have you ever like eaten fish and all of a sudden you're like, oh, what is that? Oh, it's a, it's a quarter. I found a quarter in my fish. It's like, this does not happen. Jesus is calling him to do it. And I think he does it. So let's just land with this. Uh, number one, I wonder what freedoms we are willing to let go of in order to keep the peace as well. So Jesus lets go of this freedom that he has in order not to, to offend. And I think there might be something there for us to think about as well. I wonder what freedoms we are willing to let go of in order to keep the peace and perhaps win people to the Lord. What are the things that we're willing to give up that we might let go of and trust in him, put our faith in him, not in these things that we like to hold on to, but let them go, trust in him so that he might work. Because I think that's the whole theme here, letting go, being willing to suffer, be willing to die, and watch God work. And with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, you want us to really grasp the, number one, the power of faith, but also the object of our faith, and that is Jesus, who he is, and what he has accomplished for us. Lord, the path that we are to take, it is not comfortable. It's not fun, necessarily. It can be painful. It can be uncomfortable. But Lord, we know that by faith, it is through this path that on the other side, we will obtain glory and majesty. We would obtain eternal life. So Lord, may we be bolstered in our faith to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.